Last week, we were reminded of something that is of ultimate importance, that prayer is the thing that fuels what we do. Prayer, it fuels the mission. Prayer fuels proclamation. And today, um, we're going to be looking at the, the, the last end of uh, Colossians 4. Uh, but before I do that, um, uh, before we get into it, I want to read Colossians 4, and then I want to pray, and then we'll jump straight into it. So if you have a Bible, uh, I forgot my Bible this morning. Go figure. I'm preaching. And I forgot my Bible. There you go. But we do have these to give to you if you don't have one. So please unload us uh, of having to put these away. If you do not own a Bible, we want to give you one. Uh, so check out the Connect Desk at the back if you want a free Bible. But join me here in the book of Colossians. It'll be behind me as well. Chapter 4 from verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always, struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Heropolis. Heriopolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the church in her, uh, and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of, of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to uh, Archippus, See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are for us in Christ. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you are not limited to us, by us. Uh, and Holy Spirit, I do pray now that you will blow through this room, that those who may be far from you may come near, and those who are near me may be lit on fire because of the gospel, because of the way your Holy Spirit is moving through this room. So we do pray against the schemes and wiles of the enemy that would seek to blind us and keep us in chains. But Lord, we do ask now that in the name of Jesus, you will help us to see the glory of who you are, that we would and I would recede into the background, and Jesus, that you would shine brightly today. So we thank you for all these things. Help me to forget the things that will be unhelpful and help me to remember the things that will edify your church. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You know, most people, when you go to the movies, uh, you generally tend to walk out during the credits, right? Like, no one actually stays for the credits unless you're a Marvel fan like I am. And you know... You know, as a Marvel fan, as I'm sitting there and people are getting up the credits, I'm just judging everyone like, oh, you're an idiot. You don't know what you're missing. This is the reason why. Because Marvel, what Marvel does, it, it goes to the credits and then it gives you gold nuggets at the end, after the credits. And so often we look at 
a text like today, a list of names, and we sort of just get up and we walk out because, well, those are just the credits. And I want to show us that there are nuggets of gold here in this text. There are nuggets of gold here in this text. And there are three in particular. One is the value of teamwork, the necessity of working together. The other one is the beauty of honor and encouragement. And the other one is the centrality, the, 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 just the all-importance of what prayer is. So what is the value? The gospel produces these things in a church. The value of teamwork, working together, it produces the, 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 a culture, a beautiful culture of honor and encouragement, and also it produces prayer being the, the thing that we do, the main thing that we do. This here, what we, what we, as we gather and as we sing, yes, it is extremely important, but the main thing my main job, Matt's main job, Brad and Brian and Hope, our main jobs should be that of prayers. And we should be a praying church. So one, the value of teamwork. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of Paul, I generally think of him as a bit of a lone ranger. I mean, this is Paul, right? And, and all, of, all of the medieval art of Paul show him, you know, at his desk writing. He's, he's generally alone. But what we see here in our text is that he was a deeply connected man. He was not a silo. He was not a man just unto himself. In fact, he leaned heavily on those around him for the mission of Jesus. Because Paul was a man set on fire. He suffered depression at times. He was suicidal even once, unto death, he said. But he was a man who, even in the face of all of that adversity, he was a man who was on fire for the gospel. But what he wasn't, was just a man unto himself. And as we see here, and we also find another list like this in, at the end of the book of Romans, is he is a deeply connected man who leans on the strengths of others. Titicus, for, for instance, was with Paul often and endured beatings with him. Right? Onesimus was a runaway slave who probably Paul uh, brought and, and showed the gospel to, and he was sort of like a spiritual father to him. Aristarchus, we learn he's from Thessalonica, and, and he was also a traveling companion. And when we think of traveling companion, right, th there really wasn't a business class back then. Let, let, let me give you a, a, a little sneak peek of what Paul went through, and it will be behind us from 2 Corinthians 11, from verse 23. He says this, <clears throat> Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, and with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, in danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. I mean, he wasn't traveling first class here. And you have someone like Aristarchus who was with him all the way. He's leaning on people, and he had such a great support network. We have Mark, who's a cousin of Barnabas. Now, Barnabas was the first person who trusted Paul. See, Paul was a murderer. Paul went to the Jewish authorities and said, I need, uh, I need papers to go and hunt 
Christians and bring them to trial and kill them. Now, you can imagine, if there's someone who is, is famous in your community, who, who you know that if you see this guy, he's out to get you. And then all of a sudden, he has this experience on a road to Damascus. And now he starts preaching and befriending Christians. You can imagine if he rocks up here and people just aren't sure. But Barnabas, Mark's cousin, Barnabas trusted. And he was enfolded into the community. You have Jesus, unfortunately, named Jesus, who they called Justice, probably because of that. You have Luke, who was... Um, a close friend and a doctor. And in fact, at the end of Paul's life, when he was in prison, he says, everyone deserted me except Luke. Everyone deserted me except Luke. And you have Demas, who sadly we learn later on does depart from the faith. And Nympha, a woman who held a church in her house, something like what we would call a gospel community. This is the point, that we cannot <clears throat> ever think that what, what Matt preached yesterday about proclamation and mission, that we can do this on our own. We need to lean heavily upon one another. So I want to give you a practice that maybe you can do at your GC soon, and we'll be doing this at mine. I want you to take some post-it notes and some markers, and what I want you to do is I want you to fill up <clears throat> excuse me, one of the walls with just post-it notes, and I want everyone in your gospel community to go around and share what the Lord has given them. What is on loan to you? Money? Time? Talents? Some of you guys are handymen. So, you know, who, we have a multitude of talents and time and treasure. And so often what we think is that these are, are my talents and my time and my treasure. But let me just clue you into something. All of this is on loan to you. Your your the very breath you're running for tab. It is on loan to us. And therefore, what I want us to do is I want us to lean on each other and so that we can build a community that will be a community of light, that we can engage with the communities that need our light. And the way that we do that is as we lean into one another, as we bolster each other and we shine a light on each other's strengths. We too, like Paul, can turn the world upside down. Paul did not do this all by himself, and neither can we. So the gospel produces teamwork. The gospel produces holy teamwork where we can lean on one another with the gifts that God has loaned us. Also, it, it creates a culture of beauty and honor. I mean, if you can see what Paul's saying, he's calling your beloved, <clears throat> beloved and faithful Brother, I mean, what Paul is doing is he's shining a light on these faithful people, Nympha, who, a woman who opened up her home to have a church there. And I know a lot of you gospel community leaders open up your homes each week despite sickness, despite being hurried, despite being tired, despite having crazy children, and yet you still decide to open up your homes. And this is what Nympha was doing. And what Paul is doing, he's, he's saying, we need to honor these people. We need to encourage these people. And what the gospel does, this is what the gospel does. The gospel helps us to build a community and a culture where we are not afraid to highlight other people's strengths. I've, I've been part of communities uh, um, where, where oftentimes you are afraid to highlight someone else's strength because it's going to highlight your weakness. 
But this is what the gospel does. The gospel says this about you, that you are so incredibly loved by the Father that you don't need to feel that way about anyone else. You are so incredibly loved so you can be confident in the gifts that God has given you. And yet, and yet the gospel says that you are so incredibly broken that God himself in Christ had to come and die for you. And that keeps you humble. And therefore, we can offer honor. We can offer praise to one another. So not only should we pool our resources and our time and our talents, but we should honor one another. Who was the last person that you encouraged? And you said, hey, I'm, I'm encouraged by this in you. I've seen you grow, or I've seen you give, or I've seen you serve in this way. So I, I want to honor a few people. I want to honor uh, uh, the team leaders here of hospitality. I mean, they do a phenomenal job at making us feel like just so incredibly welcomed and taken care of as they pour out their time and their beautiful talents and artistry so that we can just enjoy food. I mean, I want to honor them. I want to honor anchor kids and toddlers teams. I mean, they do, I mean, this, and this is my baby. This is, this is my crew. Uh, so I see them a bit closer, but they do an amazing job. And there are just so many people who, when there's a hole, they just lift their hands up to, to fill it. Someone's out sick. They're, few, they just, they're quick to serve. And I want to honor them. I want to honor the Connect team, who so often just they create an environment of connection and, and, and family. So I want to honor you. I want to honor the bands who work hard and who meet on Thursdays to practice for us so that they can lead us as we sing to Jesus. I want to honor production. And even this morning, you saw how we were just going back and forth. I want to honor those who, see, this is what happens. We come in here, everything's set up, lights are on, music is happening, and we forget that this takes work and time. I want to honor the prayer team who prays throughout the week. If you do not fill out those cards, I mean, we want to be flooded with opportunities to pray for you. Maybe you feel self-conscious about coming up at the, uh, you know, at the end of the service, which we encourage you to do. But you have those cards, and you can, you can anything that you need us to pray for, we want to pray for you, because that is the most important thing that we can do. So I want to honor that team. I want to honor you, GC leaders, for opening up your homes each week, week in and week out, and preparing your hearts to shepherd our people. I want to honor you. I want to honor the moms who are so often overlooked here. I want to honor you because what you're doing is you are tending a soul. You're gardening a person. And double honor for those moms who have to work inside and outside of the home. That is a hard job. I want to honor those here who are suffering from depression and anxiety and still show up. I know some of you find this setting incredibly difficult, and yet you still show up. And I want to honor what God is doing in you, that despite how you may be feeling at 9.30 on Sunday morning, you get out of bed and you come and you sing with us, and you sit under the word, and you, 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 you are family with us. I want to honor those who suffer silently. Our church should be one of honor and encouragement. We should be able to look at one another and say, I thank God for you because of this, this, and this. So I want you to find three people this week. 
I want you to find three people that you can honor the way Paul was, was honoring and encouraging those. I want you to find three people. I want you to find one person from your gospel community that you can honor and encourage. I want you to find another person outside of your gospel community in our family, in our wider family, who you can encourage. And I want you to find someone from another church or somewhere else where you can honor and encourage because this is not about anchor only. Yes, we want this place to be vibrant with encouragement. We want this place to be vibrant with teamwork. We want this place to be vibrant with prayer, but we want every place here in this city to be vibrant in those things. So find someone else outside of our community that you can encourage. Finally, the centrality of prayer. I want, you, I, I want to read uh, uh, this verse just again, verse 12 uh, from Colossians 4. Verse 12 says this, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Last week, Matt spoke to us about the, uh, the importance of prayer and how that fuels our mission, how that fuels us being the people of God in this city, in this time, in this particular place. And he, he, he focused on, on what prayer does outwardly. But what I want to show here is what prayer does inwardly. And we need to supplement the way we think about prayer, not just as something uh, that, that, that uh, creates a doing, but that cultivates our being. Eugene Peterson says this of prayer. He says, prayers, <clears throat> prayers are tools, but with this clarification. Prayers are not tools for doing or getting, but for being and becoming. Prayers are tools that God uses to work his will in our bodies and souls. Prayers are tools that we use to collaborate in his work with us. See, so often we use prayer as a tool to get. I need to see some results. I need to see something. I need to find an answer for this decision that I need to make, and so then I'll pray. But prayer, more often than not, is not about uh, you getting something, but you becoming someone. It is a context where change happens. If you want to change more into the image of who Jesus Christ is, if you want to change into more of who God created you to be, pray. Because it is in prayer that we become who we really are because we are in the presence of the one who we can hide nothing from. Nothing. You come soul-bared. You come completely naked before God. Your emotions, your sexuality, your thoughts, your being, your doings, your comings and your goings, bare. And yet, and yet, we often think that we need to use a particular kind of language when we pray. We need to... Uh, elevate our tone. We need to speak in Elizabeth, you know, uh, English, thou's these. You're talking to your dad who knows everything about you. And therefore, you become who you truly are in Christ as we pray. And that's what Epaphras was doing. He was struggling in prayers so that they would stand, what, mature and fully assured in the will of God. And the will of God there isn't talking about what color Camry I should buy or whether I should date this person 
or whether I should go to this school versus that one, or if I should take this job or that one. What Paul is saying when he says that we should stand fully assured in the will of God, what he's saying is, I want you to know what God is doing in the world. I want you to be aware of his goings and comings and his movings. I want you to see that there's more to just this, that God is doing something mysterious in this world, that God is doing something subversive in this world. I want you to see that God is bringing his kingdom to this world. That's what I want you to stand mature in, fully assured of that God is doing something in your life. I want you to be expectant, Paul is saying, that he's doing something in your life and in the world. I want you to know that this world, while it looks like it's going to hell in a handbasket, it is being renewed from the inside. As we see the war, as we see the poverty, as we see the presidential debates, as we see the brokenness of this world, we haven't even gotten to ourselves yet. You're a mess. Let me just tell you now, if you came in thinking you got it all together, you're a mess too. But let's just focus on everything outside. When we look at the world and we see the brokenness of the world and we look into our souls and we see the mess, it's easy to fall into despair. It's easy to forget that God is doing something. It's easy to forget that we should be an expectant people. And the way that we become that is through prayer. Because it's through prayer that God bends, that we, we not only uh, bend God's will to our wantings and our longings, but God bends our will so that we can stand fully mature in his will for the world. Your life is more than just your life. Your life is more than just your degree that you're pursuing, which is a good thing. Your life is more than you're doing. And what God wants you to know here today is that he's doing something. And I'm here to tell you, he's moving. Your week may have felt that he was absent. Your week may have felt, in fact, that he was maybe against you, that God wasn't for you, that God wasn't with you, that God wasn't working in you and around you. But rest assured, even as the book of Hebrews says, even when we don't see Jesus right now, even when it is not apparent that Jesus is ruling and reigning on a throne, yet he is. And one day, our hope, not hope as in I hope it's going to be sunny tomorrow, but our sure hope, the thing that animates us, the thing that drives us is that one day we will see that. You will see that. And the, the, the scriptures promise us that when we see him, when you see him, you will be like him. He's doing something in you. And what the gospel produces is we, we need to be working together. We need to honor and encourage one another. But what the gospel produces is a people who pray because it's through prayer that we become fully mature and assured in the will of God. So a practice for you. Come to the prayer meeting to, uh, next week, 9 o'clock. I take a long black. 
But come. The most important thing that we can do is to be still in the presence of God. But the world tells us this lie that, it, that, 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 that we are what we do, that we are what we have, that we are what people say about us. This is who you are. If you're a believer in Christ, this is who you are. You are what someone says about you. And, and, and what God says about you is that you are a beloved son of God. You are a beloved daughter of God. And the only way that we can become a church where these things are vibrant is when we realize that something else is broken for us. The only way that we can have this teamwork, this relationship of, of, of dependence upon one another, where we are valuing each other's strengths and using each other's uh, uh, abilities to further the kingdom of God is because one day there was a perfect relationship that was broken. And therefore, our relationships can be restored. The only way, the only way that we can build a, a culture of honor and encouragement is because we know there was someone who experienced shame and wrath for us. The only way that we're going to become a prayerful community and stand fully mature in the will of God is by knowing that someone else's prayers were ignored. That when Jesus was on the cross and he prayed, Father, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me? Why have you abandoned me? And he heard the, condemn the silence of condemnation. And because he heard the silence of condemnation, you get to hear this. I love you. I, I honor you. You are the apple of my eye. You're secure. You're loved. You are assured in me. You are beautiful. You are pure. You are clean. You're mine. Why wouldn't you want to talk to him? Why is Netflix more attractive to me than that? Why don't we want to talk to him? I want to bear myself here and say that as I was preparing for this, I was convicted by the Spirit. Why, why, why don't I want to be in the presence of someone who says, I love you? with a perfect love, and get this, he says that, and he knows me. See, people like us, and people think we're great, and people say, I love you. They don't know you. You don't know you to your depths, but there's someone who knows you to your core and your being and your fiber. Everything about you he knows, and yet he loves. Oh, how he loves us. So how do we become a community how do we become a community where we work together? How do we become a community where we honor one another? How do we become a community like what Paul was doing at the end of Colossians to that church? How do we do that? How do we become a community that prays? We become a community that does these things, that are these things because of what Jesus has done for us.
We don't do this to gain approval from him. We don't do this to gain right standing with him. We don't do this because we want to be better people. We don't do this because we want to be loved. We do this because we are loved by a much better person. Perfection. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you, oh, you, you, you're beautiful. In every sense of the word, Lord, you're beautiful. And you are holy. And Lord, as we finish up this beautiful book of Colossians, may we be reminded of who you are, Jesus. May we be reminded of who we are in you, Jesus. And this week, as we go out, and as we go out and as we play, and as we pray, and as we sin, and as we argue, and as we are kind, and as we study, and as we work, may we do all these things knowing that you love us. And Lord, we ask that you will help us, be with us, Holy Spirit, that when we fall, that we would know and be assured of your love for us. That we would not base our standing on what we do, but on what you have done, Jesus. That we would be free people. That we would be free people. And that we would know your love for us in Christ. Help us to hear that word this week on our lives, that we are beloved sons and daughters. And help us to desire to be more and more in that space, in that presence consciously. And it's in all these things that we pray for your power and your glory and your might to shine through our lives. And we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.